Uh, one of our values here at the well is that we build community and we get to know other people around us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody sort of near you that you don't know very well, and I want you to introduce yourselves to each other. And in this introduction, I want you to make sure you find one thing that you guys have in common and one thing that you do not have in common or something you might disagree on, okay? It could be something like hobbies or it could be like preferred, you know, vacation destination or, you know, Apple versus Android or whatever. I don't care what it is, right? So just find somebody you don't know very well near you and make sure you introduce yourselves and get to know each other. One thing in common and one thing you do not have in common with that person. Are your markets set? Go. Okay, all right, before you sit down, before, before you sit down, I need everybody standing again. I need everybody standing again. Uh, if you have, this is gonna be really weird, we're gonna play a little game. If you have blue eyes, you may sit down. If you are an education major, you may sit down. If you are wearing Nikes, you may sit down. If you are a Michigan fan, you may sit down. If you are a senior, you may sit down. If you are uh, if you are from the east side of the state, meaning anything from Lansing to the east, you may sit down. And if you are still standing, you may sit down. We love you guys too. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the well. My name is Ben Post. Uh, I'm on staff with Campus Ministry, and I love being here with you guys. Uh, here in our community, we have a variety of different people with different backgrounds and opinions and experiences. Yet we gather for a common purpose. I think Jesus was a master at gathering an eclectic group of people and rallying them together for a common purpose. And we're going to look at a specific passage tonight uh, that I think explains that a little bit. We're going to continue our series uh, with Jesus in Galilee according to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And if you do not have a Bible and would like one, you can just raise your hand. We have people in the back that would love to help you out. Uh, also, we hope that you have your map with you. Uh, can I borrow this real quick? If you do not get one of these, go ahead and raise your hand and say you need a map, and we would love to hook you up with a map as well. You're going to want one of those tonight. It's going to be pretty exciting. So maps, Bibles, Mark chapter 3. Maps? Okay, we need some maps up here. Lots of maps up here. When you receive this map, our encouragement to you is that you hang on to this map for the rest of your life. Or at least the rest of the semester would be helpful so that we can, you know, keep diving into the stories in their context together. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Okay, I'm going to read Mark chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 13. Uh, and if you're still needing a map, go ahead and raise your hand, and people will be glad to get one to you. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designated them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so a couple of things to help us unpack these few verses that is basically just a list of names, it seems like, right? Um, in the first century, during the time of Jesus, the religious Jews loved the scriptures. They loved Torah, as they called it. And it was a pretty amazing system, and I don't have time to go into all the details of what it looked like during that time period. Um, but basically, elementary kids, they would fall in love with this book, and they would study it day in and day out, in school, out of school, whatever. The goal was to begin memorizing books of the Bible in elementary school. And they were hoping that they could wrap their minds and their lives around this book so much that one day somehow they would climb this cultural, religious ladder uh, to become disciples of a rabbi someday. 
And then if they were really, 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 really good disciples and they really studied the text really well and if they really became like their rabbi enough, maybe eventually they could become like an NBA all-star and become a rabbi themselves. Okay, so that's like a really, really, really short introduction to this is what it was like to have to be a rabbi with disciples. Does that sort of make sense? Okay, now to be a disciple of a rabbi, the goal was not just to know what the rabbi knew. It's not just to know these words in this book. The goal was to imitate the rabbi, to become like the rabbi in every way possible. So in Mark chapter three here, it actually says. Uh, he appointed the 12, designating them, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. That was the goal. The goal as a rabbi is to have disciples with you, around you, because there's no way that a disciple can become like you if they are never with you. So the disciples were always with their rabbi to become like him. Um, so Jesus called these 12 to be with him. Now, why 12? Right? The, the, I, I think there's a reason for everything in these stories. Why were there 12 disciples? There's a reason why Jesus called 12. Well, in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12 tribes were called to be a light to the nations surrounding them. So Jesus, likewise, calls these 12 disciples to become like the light of the world in order to reflect the light to the nations, just as the 12 tribes were called to do in the Old Testament. Also, the word apostles, it says he uh, designating them apostles. Apostles means commissioned representatives. What does it mean to be a commissioned representative? To be a representative of something. They were commissioned representatives of this rabbi, in our, in our case here, Jesus. So they were becoming like Jesus, and they were going to be his representatives, shining the light and the love of Jesus to the nations around them. Now, so that's a little bit of background, and then it just names all the names of these people, right? Who are these guys? Now, the first time I heard this kind of put together, it blew my mind. So what I want to do tonight is just help us look a little bit more closely at who these 12 guys are. With that being said, I need 12 brave volunteers to come on up here. All right, come on up. Don't even, just come on up. Don't even raise your hand. And we'll Come on up. 12, 12 of you. Come on up. Keep coming. We need 12 people. There you go. Keep coming, people. All right, go ahead and stand right on this second step right here. All right, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and did I count that right? Twelve? Perfect. Let's give these guys a hand for being brave already. Awesome. Okay, so here's what we got going on. I need a minute to gather my uh, my stuff. Okay, so we have first, we have Simon Peter and a tangled mess, apparently. Hang on, I'm going to keep, keep that in my mind. Um, Simon Peter, the first disciple mentioned, uh, you guys might have to move out of that. Can you guys slide down that way, like, you know, four feet? <laughs> keep going, keep going, keep going. 
You've got to be able to see these slides here. There you go. Okay, so this is Peter's LinkedIn profile. <laughs> All right. And we know that Peter was a fisherman. So, Peter, you're going to get this rod right here. Don't break it. It's not mine. All right. Uh, and then we have James. We have John. The Sons of Thunder. Right? All right. So we have a couple more fishermen. Here we go. A couple more rods for you guys. There you go. Oh, not, that's for you. Hello. Uh, and then Andrew. All right, Andrew right here. You're also a fisherman. All right, here's a nice. There you go. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about the other uh, LinkedIn's here. So John and James, the sons of thunder. Their grandfather was called Lightning. All right. Uh, we got Andy. He's also a fisherman. Okay, so let me read this story in Mark chapter 1 uh, that has to do with these first four. Okay. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, probably just like this one would be my guess. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him okay so we have two sets of brothers They're, they got separated in mark's list i don't know why but they did so you're good you guys are brothers and you guys are brothers so that's exciting uh and these guys are from the town of bethsaida you see it circled there in the red uh and also on your map on the northwest shore of the sea of galilee the town of bethsaida the name bethsaida actually literally means house of fishermen okay so these four guys are from bethsaida Oh, we have another fisherman, believe it or not. All right, so we have Phil. Phil, you get the joy of the waiters here. They smell awesome. So you can just, you can just hold them. Yeah, that's fine. No, no judgment there. All right, here you go, Phil. Yeah, they, you can probably smell them from the fourth row back there if you really. Whew, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, okay. So we have five fishermen that were disciples of Jesus. First century fishermen were blue-collar tough guys. I mean, they had calloused hands. They braved the sudden storms on the lake. I kind of liken them to, like, construction workers in the wintertime here in West Michigan, right? They have to be a little bit crazy and really tough, like tough-as-nails kind of guys. Uh, most of the time they would fish during the night. Uh, because the fish couldn't see their nets. They did not have nylon nets at the time. Uh, and also they didn't have these things called ice, and so they would sell their fresh fish in the market early the next morning. Uh, so they often fished at night. So Philip uh, was also from the town of Bethsaida and was likely a fisherman. All right, so there's that. Next we have Bart. Thanks, Bart. <laughs> We're proud of you. Uh, Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. Sometimes the disciples had two names. It's a little bit confusing, but Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same person. In Aramaic, uh, Bartholomew's name basically means son of a farmer. And so we believe that Bartholomew was probably a farmer. Yeah, there you go. You can do what you want with that strap. And you can 
use the gardening gloves if you want, or you can just hold them. It doesn't matter. Okay, so Bartholomew is from Cana. You can find Cana on your map over here if you're looking on the screen. Uh, Bartholomew is a farmer, likely. It doesn't say explicitly in the Bible that he was a farmer, but that's what we can gather. And also, if he grew up in Cana, this picture was taken from the top of Cana, and it overlooks this amazing farm valley with a lot of wheat and stuff in it. So it makes sense that he very well could have uh, been a farmer. Uh, Cana is where the first miracle of Jesus took place, the water to wine. Jesus is at a wedding. Some say maybe it was Bartholomew or Nathaniel's wedding. There's no way to know that for sure. But uh, either way, he was probably there, maybe. Um, and we know, also know from the text that Bartholomew was really good friends with Philip. You guys were buds. So that's exciting. Fisherman and farmer, they got along. Very exciting. Next, we have Matthew. Okay? Matthew is a tax collector. Money bag. There you go. Oh, and a name tag. You need one of those too. There you go. Okay, so here's what we know about Matthew. Let's read this story from Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, also known as Matthew. Matthew's version actually uses the word Matthew. Uh, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so we got Matt over here. Matthew is from Capernaum. You can find that city on your map. A um, couple of things that I think would be helpful about tax collectors and the city of Capernaum. So Jesus, when Jesus was born, there's a ruler by the name of Herod the Great. Sound familiar? Okay. Herod the Great eventually dies during the early years of Jesus, and his kingdom was divided between his three sons, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, and Herod Archelaus. I don't expect you to remember all of this, but maybe it's helpful. When he divided their kingdom, his kingdom, Herod Antipas received this region here on the west side of the lake, and Herod Philip received this region here on the northeast side of the lake. And there's this little town right basically on the border, Capernaum. So Capernaum was actually a major border town between these two uh, territories, if you will. And Matthew, a tax collector from Capernaum, uh, was likely taxing people to and from the territories of Herod Philip and Herod Antipas. One more thing about tax collectors that I think is helpful for us. Tax collectors would have put in a bid for a contract to the Roman government. So the Roman government oversaw all of what was happening in Israel at the time. Uh, Rome was ruling the Jewish people. Uh, and the highest bidder would then be able to assume the job as a tax collector. The only way then to make your money back was to overtax people. And so you'd have, a, you'd have to collect a certain amount of tax for the government, and you could also squeeze additional money beyond what people owed that in order to gain some profit. Uh, it's sort of like when you are buying concert tickets, 
and then you see like the price of the concert tickets and then when you go to check out you say okay here's all the taxes and surcharges and you're like it's double the price and you're really annoyed anybody else feel that way sometimes okay that's what the tax collectors were doing but they would often charge up to 70 percent at times sometimes we complain about the government taking this percentage out of our check right up to 70 percent they would squeeze out of people sometimes and there's a reason why matthew did not maybe have very many friends um has nothing to do with who you are i'm just saying matthew himself because well we might have a problem here we got this uh next up we have thomas all right welcome tom we're glad you're here we don't know a lot about tom um (laughs) tom had a pretty good beard uh, and Tom was a physical therapy major, and that's about all we know about Thomas. Okay? Then we have James, known as the other James. Sorry about being known as the other James. That's just the other James, right? Like little brother. Uh, but James and Matthew are brothers. Okay? And we have Thaddeus. Uh, Thaddeus is actually a writer because Thaddeus is also known as Jude. And there's this really small book in the New Testament known as Jude. And so Thaddeus, also known as Jude, wrote the book of Jude. There you go. Here, you wrote the Bible. Proud of you. Okay, and then we have Simon the Zealot. Okay, Uh, I'm just going to give you your name tag for now and I'll give you your, your weapon later. Go Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Oh, first of all, Simon the Zealot. So the Zealots had a city. It's called Gamla in the north uh, east side of the area. There, you can see that on your map. We don't know for sure if Simon was Simon the Zealot was from Gamla or not, but it's highly possible that he could have been as a Zealot. And then we have Judas Iscariot. Right? And we all know Judas Iscariot, he's a betrayer. Now, often people think Judas Iscariot, Iscariot might be his last name. Maybe. There's not really a lot of last names that are mentioned in the Bible. Likely, so say the word ish. Ish. Ish is the Hebrew word for man. Ish. Uh, ish Kiriot. A man from the town of Kiriot is maybe more likely. Judas Iscariot, Judas Ish from Kiriot, a man from Kiriot, which is a town about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. Judas is the only disciple who was not from the Galilee region. He was way down south in Judah. Kiriot was also known as being a zealot town. So Judas, like Simon, maybe was a zealot. So with that being said, let me explain what zealots were. So Simon the zealot was clearly a zealot, and he gets a real knife. Judas Iscariot, maybe a zealot gets a butter knife. (laughs) Who were the zealots? The zealots were religious fanatics. They loved God. They believed the kingdom of God happened through fear and violence and force. The philosophy of the zealot movement was simple. There is one God, we serve him alone, and anyone who compromises in any way by serving Rome or whatever, we should get rid of them. 
And so they would carry these small daggers in their cloaks. And if they were found anybody who was compromising and following God the right way, they might assassinate them. And they got this idea. They based their zeal for God on the action of a guy by the name of Phineas, a story in the Old Testament of a, a priest who used a spear to kill many, many, many people who were disobeying God. Uh, and in that story, Phineas was praised for his zeal. Um, and so the zealots, you know, they would carry these small daggers with them as a way to say, you know, we are going to make sure that people are living the right way. And we will instill a fear in people if they're not. So, ladies and gentlemen, the 12 disciples of Jesus. Give them a hand, will you? Don't go down yet. <clears throat> so these 12 disciples, we have three sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John, Matthew and the other James. Uh, we have a farmer. We've got a tax collector. Jingle, jingle. Uh, we've got a writer. And we've got a couple of zealots. Now let me ask you guys this question. Now, when I say all of these things and you look at all of these things, do you think these 12 guys naturally liked each other and got along right away? Isn't that interesting? Fishermen, you five, really hated tax collectors. Sorry, five to one, you're going to get beat up. So the fishermen, let's say they catch 100 fish some night. They come in to the dock. They find Matthew, the tax collector, sitting on the dock in Capernaum. And Matthew says, hey, great work, men. 50 of these fish will go to Rome. I'll take 30. You guys can keep 20. They worked so hard and received so little. Fishermen did not like tax collectors. Okay? Zealots, our zealot friends down there, holding up their knives and intimidating people. Uh, they did not like fishermen because fishermen should stand up to the oppression of Rome and they should refuse to pay these taxes to Rome uh, because they're getting taxed like crazy and they shouldn't have to do that. Zealots didn't like fishermen, or uh, zealots didn't like tax collectors because tax collectors were partnering with Rome, right? And Rome is the enemy. And Rome also had a coin minted that said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, which means son of God. But the zealots said, no, there is only one God, and it's not Caesar. And so you're not supposed to give Caesar anything. So the zealots hated the tax collectors. And the tax collectors didn't really like the zealots either, because they were afraid for their lives. Right? Can you feel the potential tension in this group of 12 people? And Jesus calls these 12 people to be with him. All right, let's look a little bit closer at some of this stuff. Let's give these guys a hand. You guys can just take the name tags off and just set them right down. Set the fishing rods right here. Just set the stuff right down on the steps there. You're good. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And I'm going to move these maybe to the trash.
So when Jesus brought these 12 disciples together, I'm not sure he could have found a more diverse, eclectic group of guys than this. They differed politically, socially, economically, religiously. They hated each other at first. Yet somehow, eventually, they were able to put aside their differences. And somehow, eventually, it seems like from the stories in the Bible that they eventually learned to get along. And they had each other's backs. And they followed after Jesus. And they became like him. And they became one team. And they became unified around one common mission. And together, these 12 changed the world. And if these 12, or maybe 11, I don't know if Judas counts, they can do it, I think anyone can. One of my favorite quotes, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. In the first century, during the time of Jesus, the religious and social and political culture was just a hot, hot mess. Now, I don't know about you, but I just have a really hard time. I cannot even imagine what it would be like to live in a culture like that. What would it be like to live in a culture where people disagreed with other people on, like, religious topics or political topics or cultural, or social. Like, I just can't even imagine what that would be like. Anybody else imagine that? What would it be like if I disagreed with somebody in here and, and then all of a sudden we just hated each other? I can't imagine what that would be like. That would be weird. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you guys a few pictures and while I show you these pictures, I want you to quietly think to yourself, are you for or are you against the image that's on the screen? Is the image on the screen a hero to you or an enemy to you? Are you ready? You don't have to say anything. You don't have to write anything down. You don't have to, like, poke your neighbor and say, well, you know, Ben thinks this. Are they a hero? Are they an enemy? Are you for or are you against?
pay a super tax. Here's my guess. My guess is that every single one of us had a reaction of some sort to each of these things on the list. And my guess is at some point, maybe in the last few months, we've had some sort of debate on social media about one or more of these things. And my guess is at some point, maybe some of you think it's just my crazy aunt who thinks these things, right? But my guess is that there is somebody in this room who disagrees with your opinion on every single one of these things. Maybe it's even the person next to you. What do we do with that? What do we do with this? What do we do with this tension that we feel and we only know how to express by vomiting our thoughts out on social media? How do we pray? How do we pray about this? What do we do about these things? How do we celebrate the differences that are represented in this room and yet somehow put aside our differences and our upbringing and our background and our opinions enough to still be a team? Is that possible? What would that take? For me personally, this is really challenging. I have strong opinions about some of these things that I share with you today. And I don't know what to do with that sometimes. But what if, what if we're able to somehow look through it or past it? And I don't even know what to do with it. I'm, I'm honestly wrestling with some of this stuff. But I know that somehow in the midst of this, which is going on in our culture every single day right now, I know enough to know that I want to look closely enough at the life and the person and the ministry of Jesus. And I want to figure out what might he have to say about this. Not just, not just because he's God and he's perfect and he is all of those things. But I also think there's something that we can glean from just how he lived his life and who he surrounded himself with. The variety of team members that he said, I'm going to have you guys come stand with me and together, even though you guys hate each other, we're going to figure it out. We're going to go change the world. That was his home. He didn't just pick people that looked like him and thought like him and had the same opinions as him. What if we not only tolerated, but intentionally surrounded ourselves with people different than us? with people who didn't look like us or think like us or share the same political views as us? What if Trump supporters and Trump haters learn to get along because life ultimately isn't about these things? Life isn't ultimately about how great America is or isn't. Life is about Jesus and his mission. How do we unconditionally love the heck out of every single person on the planet? I think that's the goal. 
that's why it's still alive. The current culture in America is extremely polarizing, obviously, right? Political opinion turns into social media firestorms. What if? What if there was a community of thoughtful, committed people who had different opinions, different backgrounds, somehow came together as a team, rallied around one common mission, tonight I am thankful for Jesus and I am thankful for not only his message but also his mission and I am thankful for the team of people that you called as different as they were as much as they might have hated each other at first somehow miraculously, mysteriously they figured it out they learn to get along with each other. God, I pray that you will help me to know what to do with this. That you will help us to know how to pray, how to love our enemies, how to love the people on Facebook that we strongly disagree with and hate. God, these things are real and they are hard and we all feel them in different ways for different reasons. In the midst of these things, God, I just pray that you will help us to lift up our eyes just a little keep them focused on you and focused on the mission that you have been called to. As disciples of Jesus, may we be apostles. May we be your sent representatives. As different as we are, as different opinions we have, God, we need you to breathe life this community and into this world as we are hopeless and purposeless without you. And so come, Lord Jesus, give us clarity in who we are and who we are called to be. And may we live into the mission that you have for each and every one of us, individually and together, pray all these things in your name.